Well, have you ever asked the question, why does a God that we describe as loving and gracious, why does He allow so much pain in the world? We see people who struggle with illness, chronic illness. Someone messaged me this morning that they had had, I believe it was a classmate who had just passed as a result of COVID-19. Just this past Wednesday night, one of our members bringing perspective to some of what was being shared in the room at that moment talked about their trips to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and just seeing the number of children who are suffering. And you think, you know, children, children who are innocent, children who have done absolutely nothing to hurt anyone. And yet there they are, struggling with life-threatening illness. Our world sees random violence. Our world sees wars. It just seems like if you look, and you don't always have to look that hard, that there are so many people suffering. I just heard a couple of days ago about someone who had lost his wife and both of his parents within a span of six months. If we look to our own president and his personal story, and this isn't about politics, whether you voted for him or not, or whether you like his policies or not, but if you look at the human being, you know that when he was 29 years old, I believe, before he could even be sworn in, to the U.S. Senate, he got the call that his wife and a child had been killed in an automobile accident. And just six years ago, lost an adult son to brain cancer. A woman that was a faithful part of our body of believers at our former congregation in Kentucky... We admired her for her faith. A distant member of my wife's family. And she had had a daughter who died as a child. She had another daughter who died in a car accident as a teenager. I don't even begin to bring up the loss that I've suffered in light of what I've seen so many other people go through. And so we could ask the question... Why does this loving and gracious God allow pain in this world? Pain that many of you have endured or are currently enduring. And if we ask that philosophical question, the only response I can give, and I know that when someone is in the midst of pain, That this is not something that's appropriate to bring up. But the only response I can give is that this world is not the one that God intended for us. 
when we sing that hymn, and I don't know that we sing it here very often. This is my Father's world. I often think, oh, I don't think so. I know that the hymn writer had the best of intentions when penning those lyrics. But I often think, no, this isn't my Father's world. My Father's world is waiting for us. My Father's world is one where there's going to be no pain and no suffering. The song that Steve just led a moment ago, no more dying there, no more crying there. He was inspired, I know, by Revelation 21.4 when he chose that song for this morning. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Oh Lord, come quickly. But the reality is, this is the world we're in. This is the world that we are challenged to allow our light to shine in. Right, church? This is the world that we've been given for now. A world that I was reminded just yesterday watching an episode of 60 Minutes. And they were doing a report on grizzly bears. Stacy sets the DVR to record 60 Minutes, and so we watch it at random odd times during the week. But they're doing a report on grizzly bears, and I see, man, this the beauty of Montana. And we're looking at each other going, man, we got to go there. You know, I don't know when, we don't know how, we've we got to figure out how to get out to Montana and see big sky country because the scenery was just absolutely gorgeous. And then I come in here and one of our beloved saints hands me a couple of DVDs and said, Hey, last time you were at my house, you mentioned that you've been to Wyoming but never made it up to Yellowstone. And so he gave me a set of DVDs on Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons, the parts, the beautiful parts of Wyoming that I didn't get to see on my two trips to Wyoming when I was younger. And so we're reminded that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of pain and suffering, there is a tremendous amount of beauty in this world. And it's often in the pain that we come face to face with some of the beauty of this world. I invite you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. 
which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in, experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hopes that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul writes this, and he starts out, verses 3 through 7, there's this beautiful praise. There's this beautiful prayer. We just concluded a long series on Wednesday evenings, the prayers of the Bible. And it wasn't even an exhaustive list. We weren't even, didn't even have time to go through everything. What we discussed about Paul is that while unlike Jesus, where Jesus, we actually see some of his prayers in the Gospels. Paul never actually pins a, a verbatim prayer that he might have prayed. But oh, church, he makes so many references to prayer. And this is one of them. When he opens this section, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And don't miss it. Paul is mentioning the triune God there. Because he mentions God the Father... He mentions Jesus Christ. And then when he says the God of all comfort. Paraclesis is the word there that's translated as comfort. And so that Greek word, a similar word is used by Jesus in John 15. When he's in the upper room, he is talking to the twelve and he is promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so he refers to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, the comforter. And so when he says God of all comfort, what he's referring to here is the Holy Spirit. The comforter that he promised, the comforter that he says, I'm leaving, this is the way it has to be, but I'm leaving something here that's going to be, and this is my paraphrase, but in so many words he says, I'm leaving something that's going to be more advantageous to you. And I remind you all of something I've said before. If Jesus had remained, then where is God? Well, he's there in the flesh, right? And so, if you wanted to see God in the flesh, you had to be where Jesus was. 
But when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, and we get the Holy Spirit, then God's Spirit is everywhere. Scripture makes it clear that God's Spirit dwells within believers upon their baptism. And so Paul, in this reference to prayer, mentions the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit as God of all comfort. And so in these verses 8 through 11, it can almost seem like a complaint or a lament. But it's believed that Paul writes this from Ephesus and that Paul has endured some tremendous or significant suffering while he's there. Very possibly referring to his time in a jail cell. And for, for Paul to say that we thought we were as good as dead, because that's what he's saying there, church. We thought we were as good as dead. It was more than we ourselves could endure. And therefore, we leaned on God. You read verses 8 through 11 carefully, that's what he's saying there. And so, we think about what do we get from pain? Pain prepares believers to be comforted by God. If you're taking notes, you write that down, church. Pain prepares believers to be comforted by God. And it almost seems like a paradox. But the other side of that is pain prepares us to be a blessing to others. Because church, it's one thing to drop a card in the mail and to express our sympathy to someone. That we see them as a human being. We see the pain and suffering that they're enduring. And even maybe we go to them. Bill mentioned this morning before his prayer of how how people have reached out to him and Teresa and offered to help. And so maybe some of those people had been through what they're dealing with. They know what it's like to have a surgery and to be convalescing in the aftermath of a procedure like that. Maybe they don't. When we don't, we're sympathetic. When we've walked that path, we've walked in those shoes, then we can provide something that is even more valuable. And that's what Paul is referring to here. We can provide empathy. I not long ago had someone that I was counseling out at Hope Center. And when it comes time in their program for them to ask, to, for them to find a sponsor in their addiction recovery process, they reach out to somebody and say, will you be my sponsor? A young man that I had been counseling for several weeks asked, will you be my sponsor? And I said, I'm sorry, I cannot. Because your sponsor needs to be someone who has 
walked this path before. Your sponsor needs to be a fellow recovering addict. And the program is designed that that sponsor is not someone who is sympathetic, but someone who is empathetic. Someone who knows what it's like to be at rock bottom. Someone who knows what it's like that through the help of our loving God to be sober and then also knows what it's like to either relapse or to deal with the temptation to relapse. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But there's another position that they are encouraged to find, and that is an accountability partner. And I said, I cannot be your sponsor, but I can be your accountability partner. I can walk alongside you for the rest of your life. And I can help hold you accountable. But your sponsor is going to be somebody who has walked in those shoes. Now, it sounds like a cliche when we say it. But God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. When someone loses a parent and they're fairly young, I know what that's like. I was in my 20s when my father died unexpectedly. Now, I can't altogether call that tragic. I had lived to be an adult. I wish he could have met our son who was born the next year. But he had met other grandchildren. Those born to my older brother and sister. And so and so he had experienced that joy in life. I just didn't I missed out on being able to hand him Barrett for that first time and let him hold our son to let him do his goofy dad thing or in that situation his granddad thing because my dad could be goofy with the grandkids pure and simple have a college classmate who I just saw, he lives in Hickman County now, and lost his grandmother. 52 years old. And I thought, 52 years old and you still have had a living grandparent? All of my grandparents had passed before I even finished college. And I thought, what, what would that have been like to have still had a, a grandparent alive a year ago for me? You know, and I thought to my, then I realized, wait, he's a grandparent. And he still had a living grandparent. That's a whole lot of generations of life that were still living. What a blessing for that family. I didn't get to experience that. But I don't begrudge somebody else that. No. I was, I, I was robbed of a few things. But then I look around and I see what other people have dealt with and I see other people that have been robbed of so much more. And so it allows me to maintain perspective. But church, when Paul writes these words, 
He is saying that you have the opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ. In verse 5, I believe it is, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And so, we share in the sufferings of Christ. Christ suffered, and on this side of glory, in various forms, we're going to suffer. What is it that Jesus promised us? He promised us trouble, right? John 16, in this world you will have trouble. And the next words he says are, take heart. Take heart. Why church? Because he has overcome the world. Because through his sacrificial death, through his willingness to lay down his life for us, then we know that we have something better waiting for us. Empathy is something that should never be kept to ourselves. Empathy, when we've walked down a particular road and then we see someone else walking down that same road, we should never hoard that. We know what it's like to lose a sibling when we're young and we see someone else lose a sibling when they're young, we can go to that person. We know what it's like to lose a parent when we're young and we see someone else walking that road. We can go to that person. And it's one thing for someone to come and say, you know what, I am so sorry. It's altogether different, church, when someone goes to that person and says, I know exactly how you feel. Because I've been down this road as well. Because in that moment, they're not the recipient of pity from someone saying they're sorry. They are the recipient of hope from someone who says, I've been through it. And that's the key, church, through it, past tense. Because in that moment they see that someone has endured it. And they have come through it. They have survived it. We should never waste the gift of empathy that is granted to us by God. He allows us that so that we can comfort someone else. The prayer I often pray, because every Wednesday night we gather, we ask for prayer requests, and there's always somebody on someone's heart, someone in the community, I typically don't know them, but someone who has just lost a loved one. And the prayer I pray is God, wrap your loving arms around them. But church, sometimes those loving arms are in the form of God's children who have walked that path and are willing to share their empathy.
unwilling to hoard that. The Bible has more to say on suffering. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And the verse we shared earlier. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe every tear from their eyes There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. One of the greatest comforts that I have is that when I think, and believe me, in preparing for this this morning, I thought about every loved one that I've lost. I thought about great aunts and uncles, grandparents, my father, first time I experienced loss of any significance, I was 10 years old and learned that my mom's brother, my uncle Jimmy, had been killed in a car accident. He was 42 years old, left behind two children. My cousins, one was a senior in high school at the time, one was a sophomore. And so I think about all those family members. And church, what gives me the greatest comfort of all is that every single one of them were a child of God. Every single one of those relatives had proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and had put on Christ in baptism. And so as we conclude our time together this morning, I hope you are encouraged that yes, pain exists. Pain is real. We don't ignore pain. And I'm not going to be so naive as to say that we embrace pain. But when pain comes our way, let's learn from it. And when the time is right, let's be a comfort to someone else who has endured that same kind of pain. And so if you're with us this morning and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism, then we make that opportunity available to you before we leave here today. The waters of baptism are available. If you have something that's going on in your life, maybe you're in the midst of pain and would appreciate the prayers of a faithful body then we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing. There is a name I love.